kickoff, amen? Amen. Everybody clapping is going to be there. <laughs> hey, here's the deal. We do need four or five uh, volunteers to help set up for fall kickoff this Friday. So if that is you and you don't mind putting in a little sweat equity, uh, just catch me after service outside and uh, or out in the lobby and we'll get you signed up to help out with that. But hey, if you don't know me, my name is Brandon Lean. Uh, that is my beautiful wife, Miss Adrian, uh, that was helping sing today. Can we give it up for Adrian at least? Thank you. Amen. Well, it's an honor to be in this pulpit. I, uh, I'm very grateful to be in this pulpit. We have uh, an incredible lead pastor that, that not only uh, has led incredibly here, he also opens it up for his staff and the team to, to rotate and and, and that is not the, that's not the usual thing for a lead pastor to be able to do that. And so can we just uh, pause and maybe give it up for our lead pastor, Kurt? We appreciate that. We're doing a mic change. Hello, hello, hey, hey, there we are. Hey, you want, let's give it up for our tech department because they have it the worst ever. Nobody ever leaves a service and says, you did great tech. You know when they notice tech is when there's a problem. They're like a referee at a basketball game. And so make sure when you walk out today, you high five them and say, hey, good job in the middle of the pressure doing, uh, doing whatever it is that you do, amen? All right, thank you. Yeah, this one feels better. I feel, I feel better with this one, so. Hey, I've got a, a theme I want to repeat today, and I want you guys to say it after me. Say, thank God I'm here, but I can't stay here. Anybody feel like that in this season? Thank God I'm right where I'm at. I'm right where I'm at. I've got here by, by the grace of God somehow, but I can't stay in this spot. This isn't the destination. This isn't the ending. This isn't ethos. This isn't the place I'm supposed to be. This is not the arrival spot. And so let's say that one more time. Let's say, thank God I'm here, but I can't stay here. It was early 2000s. I had got my first management position in the fitness industry. And so um, I've got a, one of my friends here from the fitness industry that knew me way back when. If you couldn't tell, uh, we're about the same size and build and, st and stature, of course. But Josh, go ahead and stand up for me real quick. I want to point you out. He's built a lot like me. It's, that's not funny. But <laughs> early 2000s, and that's where Josh and I knew each other. And um, I got my first management position in the fitness industry. And I was, I was the youngest manager in the company. And so, because I knew it all, of course, that's why I had the management position given to me. And it was my first manager's meeting, okay? And just that way, um, does anybody remember the time that your cell phone didn't actually tell you how to get somewhere? Thank you. That's my, that's my uh, getting old story. And so, if you think that's lame, well, that's what I've got right now. When I was that age, in my first manager's position... My cell phone didn't tell me how to get somewhere. I had to figure it out on my own. Or maybe if you uh, were a little bit older than me, what'd you have in your car? Maybe a Garmin. Yeah, that's fine. And a couple other people might have had a, a map book. 
Anybody have a map book in here? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I've, I've never actually seen one, but I heard they exist. But I didn't have a map book, and so I wish I would have for this story. And so it's my first manager's meeting. I wasn't super familiar with, like, the East Valley. I was a West Valley kid at this point. And, and so the meeting was supposed to be in Tempe at 8 a.m., and I lived at Waldell and Reams and Surprise. And so I was, I was pretty far out there. And anyways, I get up and I, I'm ready to leave the house by 6 a.m. Because I knew it was going to take me a long time to get there. And so I, I, I take off and I start heading this direction. And I had never been to this place. And sure enough, um, an hour goes by and I'm getting a little bit, little bit nervous. And hour and a half goes by and now I'm really nervous because I'm really lost and I have no idea how to get there. And... And I receive a call from my brother, and, and, and I had no idea where I was, and I was driving. My brother was also a manager there, and he was like, where are you? Like, you should be here. It's your first manager's meeting. There's, there's 50 managers here, and you're not here yet. And I'm like, I'm lost. I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea how to get where you're at. And, and sure enough, like, time goes by, and he calls me back, like, right before the meeting starts. And I'm like, I, I got no idea. I can't find it. I can't get my way back. And, and he goes, well, you've got to tell me where you are in order for me to help you, Brandon. I was like, I have no idea where I'm at. He's like, you got to pull over and ask somebody. So I pull over, and I found out that I was around the 202 and 60. I didn't know. That's a little bit farther than Tempe if you're not familiar. And so I did not make the meeting in time. But finally, I was able to tell him where I was. And then he could tell me how to get to where I was supposed to be going. And that tends to be a theme here. On our destination in this life and our spiritual maturity, that if you don't know where you're starting at, thank God I'm here. Where is here today? We can't get you where you're supposed to be going. And so today is all about inventory and taking time to, to pause and reflect. It's a, it's a day where we take communion and, and thank God for the sacrifice and for his son and for the, for the body and for the blood. And we, we take time to just pause and reflect and say, where am I really at right now? Let's go into the, the scripture together. We're going to go into Matthew 13 and verses 47 through 49. Uh, we're going to go into Matthew chapter 13. Anybody bring a physical Bible? Good. Same people that had maps in their car, apparently, because it was like the same nine people. <laughs> Who's reading their Bible on their phones this morning? Uh, you're still safe, too. It ain't wrong. <laughs> okay, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And I got my physical Bible up here. Don't, don't feel like I'm calling you out if you got your physical Bible. But Matthew 13, verses 47 through 49 in this is a, a parable about uh, the final judgment. And so Jesus says this, and he said, again, the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> anybody ever feel like they've had to explain things over and over? <laughs> That's what I hear when I see that again. Like Jesus has done told this parable three different directions with three different animal examples, and like they're still asking the same kind of questions. He's like, again, guys, you're not listening, but I'm going to give you one more example, okay? Here it is. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. Pause. Who were the fish? You got to break this down in your mind as we're reading the gospel. So in this parable, when it talks about these fish, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. You got to ask yourself questions as you're going through these scriptures. 
When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, sorted out the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. Who are the fish? Us. Threw the bad ones away. Verse 49, it says, this is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous. The wicked people from the righteous. Well, we better understand what wicked and righteous really mean then. Same fish in the same net. Talking about the church. Are there gonna be, is it the world? I mean, there's some big, big topics and big questions inside of this. That word wicked, this is what it breaks down to. When they talk about that the angels will separate us at the end of days, this word wicked breaks down to this right here. The word wicked means the state of being wicked. A mental disregard for justice. End of days, the angels are separating the righteous from the wicked. And that word wicked is the ones who have a mental disregard for justice. That word justice is to, to make right, to, to, to be in right relationship with God. This is important stuff that we, we have to be able to understand and, and process and think about ourselves. It's a, that word justice, to make right, to be in right relationship with God. Here's the scary part, to be in right relationship with others. And then out of those right relationships, we then are compelled to fight for the cause of those who are weaker. The orphans, the widows, the outcast, wicked. See, I heard it said like this. Uh, one commentary was saying, it's not really that we don't care about others. It's just that we're too busy caring about ourselves. You see, we, we lose sight of that word wicked. It's a, it's a mental disregard for justice. It's a mental disregard for others that somewhere along the way, we let stuff inside of our heart that begins mattering more than our relationship with God. And then our relationship with others is affected. And then we no longer fight for the cause of those who are weaker, the outcast, the oppressed. That that justice is the deciding factor at the end of days, whether we will be in the wicked line or the righteous line. That word wicked has some pretty good synonyms that we, uh, we will know more familiar in our own language that we use. One of them is pride. There's two different ones I'll unpack today, but the first one is pride. And see that word pride, it's, uh, it's sneaky. The definition of this is arrogance, a, a cynical insensitivity. And I've been that way this week. You ever just find yourself saying mean stuff about the people in your head? That, why am I saying that? A cynical ins insensitivity to the needs of others. Everybody say others. Others. An insensitivity to the needs of others. Pride is both a, it's this disposition, it's an attitude, it's a type of conduct Pride, wickedness is this me-centered universe. 
from the time that I wake up till the time that I go to bed, my life revolves around meeting my own needs. Me, myself, and mine, that's me. This idea of pride and, and wickedness, it's, it's a scary thing that this like litmus test like that we said that you legitimately don't know where you have ignored the needs of other people. To, to, to find that if pride has maybe creeped its way into our life, if it's found, it's a, if it's got its fingerprints in our behavior and, and then back up with our relationship with God has become stagnant or stale, then our relationship with others is stagnant or stale. And then we start treating those people that are, that are in weaker situations, the oppressed, the outcast, we start treating them with this, some kind of indifference. The litmus test that you can test yourself on is you legitimately don't know where you have ignored the needs of other people. Seems pretty important that we better understand justice then. In the scriptures, it says that we are called to seek out injustice. Not only to fix it when we see it, but we're called to actually seek out this injustice that people are underneath of. It says that we are to speak for those people that don't have a voice, that, that we are to go after and change the, the social structures in this world to help those kind of people. Like that's the kind of justice that we see in the Bible, that, that we are to elevate the weaker, that we are to have be a safe place for immigrants, that we are to adopt the orphan, that we are to, to help the poor and level the scales for the marginalized. Justice. Everybody say justice. You know, Jeremiah says that we are to rescue the oppressed. To rescue the oppressed. I don't know, but I get this like, this uh, vision in my head when I hear that Jeremiah says that like, justice requires that we rescue the oppressed like this Navy SEALs is coming in and it's like pulling people out of these terrible situations. Like that's supposed to be us as believers. I got a story for you. I, um, I've got a background in recovery, recovery ministry. And uh, that's where I originally had, began in ministry. And my brother and I, my brother is, a, is about Josh's size. He's, he's, he's bigger than me. And um, my brother and I used to go on what we would call these rescue missions. We would get phone calls that people are in bad situations and they need somebody to pick them up because it's gonna be a bad deal if somebody doesn't help them. Okay, you willing to change? Yep, you willing to give up drugs? Okay, you willing to go through the program? I'm on my way. We got this one phone call and this girl's name was Lexi. Lexi had been uh, staying at a, uh, it's called a trap house. Anybody ever heard of a trap house? Yeah, it's terrible. I'm glad you have not heard of them. But a trap house is someone who doesn't own the home. There's no electricity, but they're prostituting people in and out of this house, that they're prostituting them, they're selling drugs out of it, and the police can't do anything about it. It's just a house that's been taken over. Lexi is literally being held hostage inside of this house, being prostituted out. And, and she's, she finally, she was able to call us. She knew a couple of us at the, at the place I was at, the church I was at. And in the background, I hear this, this big tough guy. He's like, yeah, just send them guys over here. Have those guys show up on our doorstep. They, they can pick you up. And he's talking kind of the garbage in this mess. And I'm like, okay, like Josh, like 
let's go, let's go rescue Lexi. You know, like, you know, and on the way there, we're like, we're, we're thanking God for letting us get in a fight. We're like, thank you, Jesus, for letting us fight this guy. Like, thank you, Lord, for letting us hurt in the name of Jesus that we will be victorious. And I had no weapon formed against me. You got a weapon? Okay. And like, I got a, I got a shank with me, like in the name of Jesus, like, <laughs> But I was like, that's really where we were in our walk. <laughs> like I was ready to fight, you know? And so we get there, we pull up on Lexi's driveway and Josh hops out and, you know, we got a tank top on. So, you know, we're idiots, you know, like that's not gospel centered. Like, you know, like, what's up, bro? <laughs> like you go first, Josh, <laughs> you know, like I let him go for a minute and we show up on the driveway and, and I see Lexi at the door and I, you know, I kind of knew who she was and she comes outside real skittish and scared. And, and all of a sudden, guess who we hear? Hey, yo, who, where, where are them guys at? I'm like, okay, like, let's go. Like, let's get this. Josh gets first crack. Once he's out, I'm gonna kick him. You know, like, I'm gonna get one in. And all of a sudden, me and Josh are like, you know, from here to Pastor Kurt, and we're at the door. And I'm like, okay, come on, Lexi. Like, let's go. She has a trash bag. Like, that was her life, was a trash bag. Dude comes to the door and he's like, hey, well, I'm glad you guys are helping her. She needs help, you know? And, and what? Oh. Are you you the guy I heard on the phone, right? Like, that's the same guy. He's like, you know what? I, let me pay for her first month at the program. And he pulls his money out and gives me money. And, and, and so he wasn't a tough guy real quick, you know, when he saw two guys there that were ready to fight him. Rescue missions. That was the kind of rescue missions I enjoy. Probably not what we're all called to. And so I don't condone fighting and going showing up on trap, trap house doors. But that's just part of my story. Justice, fighting for people that can't fight for themselves. Not being so busy that you can't even see those things anymore. You know, it's, can I be transparent? Is that okay? I hope I can, because I don't have a filter. <laughs> you know what ministry does sometimes? It messes your head up. Sometimes you just forget really the kind of pit that God pulled you out of. Sometimes you get a lot of eyes looking at you. A lot of people patting you on the back and saying, attaboys. And all of a sudden you run into a friend that saw you 15 years ago and he said, what? And you forget how far, just how far that you've been rescued. You know, and I know not all of our stories are the same, but there's a lot of people out there that need you to help them. The stories are the same. You know who showed up on my doorstep to rescue me? A guy who had never touched drugs, never drank a day in his life. Showed up on the doorstep to rescue me at somebody's house and did the same thing for me. He, he, he hassled me and he bothered me and he, he called me and he texted me and he, he showed up where I lived and he hurt. Like I finally just had to give in and, and say, yeah, okay, I, I'll go. But that's what this gospel should, should be about. We should, we, should, we should think about the needs of other people and, and, and put ourselves in a position to be uncomfortable in order to get them to a place where they can be rescued. We don't rescue them. We just pave the way for the rescuer to get to them. I mean, that's our assignments that we're supposed to be on here in this. And it may look different in your workplace. It may look different in your office building, but you're still rescuing them. In fact, some of the, you see, Lexi, that's, that's logical change. She was half naked in a trash bag. That's logical change. But you know radical change is that guy in your office building that looks like his life has everything all together, but he's almost suicidal because he hates everything about life now. 
because what I got out of life isn't satisfactory. And so they need almost just as much rescuing as Lexi did with a trash bag half naked walking to the van, getting, get, get, just finding a place to sleep tonight. You see, we look for like this, this uh, point of view and perception that sometimes we get the, that people need rescuing only in, like on the side of the road with a sign, but the people in your life and your office building and the, the person sitting at Barnes and Nobles or the, the, the people that we run into, that that's a, they look hopeless and down and out, but they have everything all together on the outside. Like that's our mission field. Matthew 25, 42. Matthew 25, 42. It's another terrible picture of final judgment, to be honest. For I was hungry, (laughs) listen, we're before the Lord. That's what's going on in this parable. One group makes it in, one group doesn't. Wicked and righteous again, okay? These are the ones that do not make it in. And this is how Jesus responds to them as to why they do not make it in. Matthew 25, 42. He says back to these people, for I was hungry and you didn't. Everybody say, you didn't. You didn't feed me. See, I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. We got too busy caring about ourselves to realize that the simplicity of this gospel that we overcomplicate it and we, and, we, and, we, and we pack it into all these mega structures and ideas and, and theology. But, but the truth is, is we just didn't do the basic things that he's called us to. Verse 44, one of the most terrifying things in, in all of the scripture, then they, that's, that's the ones who don't make it in. They replied this back to him. This is what they say back to, back to the Lord. They say, then they replied, pause, what's that next word? Say it out loud. What'd they call them? Huh. Implies that they consider him Lord, but he's really not. It'd be like somebody else's kid called me dad. I'd be like, who are you? <laughs> I don't pay your bills. Like, I don't know you. <laughs> Lord. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? See, it, it's not like, well, Lord, you, I had all these other things going on. I saw that you were hungry. I saw that you were naked. I saw that you needed me, but I did this. Remember, Lord? <laughs> I did these things. See, they didn't even say that. When did we ever see you? They got so busy taking care of themselves, taking care of me, taking care of mine, that they, they never saw him hungry or naked or in prison. Lord, when did I ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or in prison and not help you? Here's our second synonym. Pride was the first one for this word wicked. Pride was the first one. The second one is vanity, vanity. Everybody say vanity. 
Which one do you hate worse? Pride, raise your hand, or vanity? Pride first. 14, 15, okay. (laughs) How about vanity? Right? That sneaks its way in my life, doesn't it? Vanity. Your days revolve around the earning of more. This hits us right in our American gospel belly. It hits us right in our American Jesus. Your days revolve around the earning of more when you already have more than enough. It's our American vanity. When most of your thoughts are centered on me, myself, mine, what, what my tribe, my, my group of people, when it's not focused on others, who am I seeing that's in need? That is the, the basis and foundation for vanity itself. You see, I even wanna propose this. this. This is gonna mess a couple of you up, okay? This is gonna mess you up because it messes me up. You see, vanity is one thing. Gym industry, man, we lived it. You know, I was shirtless selfies and tanning too much, and I was, you know, taking more creatine and anything I could do to be bigger, look bigger, look all the stupid things that this life has to offer. That's, that's vanity, obviously. But did you know the vanity of this, of this generation? It's self-consciousness. It's insecurity. You allow the things that you think you're not to keep you from doing the things that you are supposed to. You spend your days and your time constantly thinking about why I'm not enough, why I'm not good enough, why I don't have the tools necessary. And God is saying, that is exactly why I've called you to do the things I need you to do. But you're spending your time consumed with me, consumed with my insufficiencies, consumed with what I lack, with what I don't have. And he is saying, my child, that's exactly why I've called you. Insecurities. Genesis 127 says that we were created in the image of God. Any thought that does not align itself with that image that we were created in is absolutely vanity. Because you think that something you've done to yourself or something you caused or created is more powerful than the one who created you. And it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Righteous. Let's look at this word together. See, I had to keep the cup clear like, like our chief. I don't know if you ever noticed that. He does a clear water bottle with no label on it. Just, just following my leader. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Righteousness is the perfect holiness of Christ. Oh, there's a... <laughs> go and hit that measure in your life. <laughs> right? Like we've unpacked wickedness together and now go back to the final judgment day. There'll be this line of wickedness and this line of righteousness, right? And so the ones who make it into heaven, they are the perfect holiness of Christ in their life. Holiness, this message of being set apart, not this message of the Americanized Jesus that says, how close can I get my foot to the line of sin, not sin and still make it in? I'm talking about a life that is so set apart, that is so far away from where he found you, that when people see you, they're like, I don't know what it is about you, but I want it. 
You see, but we blend in too much. We try to fit in. We try not to disrupt. And, but I'm thinking of a Jesus like in Matthew 6 or John 6, 50, when he tells people that you got to eat my flesh. He says, you got to drink my blood if you want this life. This is an offensive gospel that we are called to live out. But we Americanize it. We make it comfortable. And we want it to fit into our 401ks and our you know, three-bedroom houses and our two, three cars. And how close can I get my foot to the line and not call it sin and still be okay? Well, when you become a believer and you become the holiness of Christ, it's no longer about whether you're sinning. It's who else is still sinning because you're not giving them the right example of Christ. See, when you live a radical holy life, you draw people out of the darkness and out of the fire with the way you live. Is anybody with me this morning? Are you guys with me? say others. That word holiness, the, this righteousness means to reflect the face of God. But somehow we are to reflect the face of God. But then Isaiah also tells us that our, that our behavior modification, like our, our good behavior is like filthy rags. So what is it that's missing between our good behavior, our behavior modification, and this holiness of Christ that we're called to live? It's a complete surrendering of what you want to do for what he wants to do in your life. See, it's when you have this tug of war of holding on, like, I can, I can technically do this and still get away with it, and, and it's really not sin. It's kind of okay. I'm kind of in. I'm kind of out. I'm not really living totally in, but I'm still living a lot better than I used to. That's not a surrender of your heart. See, if I had a focus, this is where it would be. Our wickedness and righteousness, it all hinges on our relationship with others. Others. Matthew 16, 24 says it like this. I know I've hit you with a lot of scripture so far, but probably what we should be hitting you with, I guess. That's your church, right? <laughs> Amen. If any of you, if any of you want to be my follower, if you want to be my follower, that you must give up your own way. That means wherever he found you, the way you were going then, you no longer go after. See, we always try to have it like Burger King style with our relationship with Jesus. We always try to have it our way, but add Jesus as a side dish on Sunday. I'm gonna get my weekly little fill up of Jesus on Sunday and I'm good for the rest of the week. I'm gonna have it my way Monday through Saturday. But Jesus says that if any of you want to be my follower, that you must give up your own way. Look, this, this next couple words should mess you up. Think about it. Number one, giving up your own way messes you up, okay? What's it say next? Say that out loud. Just say it real quick. What is the cross? Like, I know we like put it on necklaces like I talked about my son and you know, there's probably one in the sanctuary somewhere just hanging up and I'm like, oh, Jesus, cross, cool. But like a cross was a weapon that murdered Jesus. I don't know if you got that like totally running through your head when you think about taking up your cross. 
but our Americanized Jesus really cleans that up and packages it and sells it really well. But it's a weapon that murdered Jesus. Like if you're gonna give up your own way and take up your cross, it's probably gonna include some suffering. Like it's probably gonna include not a life of total comfort. Like for you to take up your own cross and suffer the way that Jesus gave us the example of suffering, it's probably not gonna look as cushy as it did before Jesus came on the scene. Give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And follow me. In my eyes, Kurt asked me to kind of just give a snapshot, maybe in, through, through fresh eyes being here at, in, in church culture in Phoenix. I visited other churches and I've met with pastors and, and being at renovation and meeting with most of you and talking with you and being around. And, and so this is a couple of the things I keep just hearing, like why is the church, not even just renovation, although renovation has been hit hard since COVID, but the big church, why is the church in decline? What's happening to the church? This is the only thing I, can, I know to be true is that, that the younger generation, the people who are left the church, that the people that are not drawn to the church, they're tired of hearing people talk about transformation that don't live it out. They're tired of an inauthentic gospel that says one thing, but isn't actually what's happening in people's lives. You see, the lost will not be part of a faith that claims that Jesus saves us. He lives in us, yet we remain unchanged. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. Here are the top three reasons Barna did this study that people are leaving the big C church. The first reason that they say that the specifically millennials, the younger generation has left this church or uh, the big C church, not renovation, is the first thing is we've just got too busy. You see, they, they said there's three things that really went under this category of being too busy. And this hits the Arizona culture right in the gut. Kids sports are the new religion on Sundays. Travel schedules. Our lives have gotten so comfortable that we no longer place the body of Christ and bringing lost people to the body of Christ as important as a regular travel schedule. Second thing, we gotta do inventory ourselves and look at this. This rock star leader culture that's been somehow birthed inside of our churches. That people are, are, are more drawn to the, to, the, to the man than Jesus. The man, the woman, the person in the pulpit that are, that, that are sharing their life stories. They're, they're drawn to a personality, but they're never changed or transformed. And so when they tell their friends about what's going on at their church, but they're still the same person, but they're just in love with a person or two at their church and they're not in love with Jesus, the lost wants nothing to do with that. 
Here's the third thing, and we've all got to take this for what it is. It's the big church, it's not our church, but hypocrites. And this is what it said. It said that the church looks down on the broken, the lost, drug addict, people in prisons. God forbid somebody comes in here all tatted up or smelling like they slept on a sidewalk. Maybe somebody says the a four-letter word in a conversation. Here's the other part of that, hypocrites. It's, it's hard. You see, we've allowed this Americanized gospel to get shared over and over and over. And the Americanized Jesus says that accept Jesus and your whole life gets better that everything works out for you. Home's gonna be good, your family's gonna be good, your bank account is gonna be great. (laughs) It's crap and it's a lie. So they think we're hypocrites when they see us suffering and we give up and go back to our old ways. But they think we're hypocrites because we haven't told them the right gospel. We didn't tell them about the Jesus that says that if you wanna follow me, you gotta give up your own way. And you got to take up this weapon used for murder, this suffering device, and you're going to suffer through this life. And you're going to just have to follow me. It's going to be hard. And you're not going to know what's going to happen in your life, and you're going to have to give up things. You're going to have to give up security and comfort. But you have to wake up each morning. You have to pick that cross back up. You have to keep following Jesus. Because when we walk out a gospel that that's unwavering through suffering, that's when the lost world will find their way back here. That's when they'll be drawn back here. Hypocrisy, it refers to the act of claiming to believe something, but acting in a different manner. You see, this word is derived from the Greek term, an actor, hypocrite. Somebody who wears a mask but you never see who they really are on the inside. You never get to the issues below the surface with these people. It's just like this revolving cycle in their life of I do good for a minute and I fall right back to the same place I started. Because we never allow the Lord to have access below the surface to change and transform us who we are on the inside. You see, We are different here at Renovation. Quite frankly, you guys let me on this stage and that's crazy. (laughs) It don't make no sense, (laughs) doesn't. (laughs) You guys didn't do a good background check or something. (laughs) See, we're different. Now, one of the things we're really good at is community here. I genuinely feel like that I could call any of you go to your home any day of the week and you would help me. You'd be there for me to listen. I genuinely believe that. But there are some voices in here that I've talked to that feel like they're just not a part of that community. 
There's people that feel like they've been sitting in the crowd and nobody's ever invited them into their homes before here. But they see groups of people being close together and they, they, they want that. And so with the blessing of what we are, we miss sometimes what we're not. And that's hard for me to, to recognize. That's one thing that I'm guilty of myself. I wanna be comfortable. I wanna be part of whatever group and circle of friends that we have. Today's title as we close is Iceberg. Iceberg. See, I believe this is where we are at Renovation Church. See, I believe that there are some people that are about to go below the surface with their life. And they're about to let Jesus have access to the really deep and hidden things and truly be transformed in a way. You see, most Christians stay above this line. Like that iceberg, you can see the top side, but to truly have a life transformed by Jesus Christ, you gotta peel this heart open and allow him to have access below the surface to, to rooms and areas of your heart that have been hidden, scar tissues. You see, I believe that we have a program uncommon here. And I believe it's gonna be the catalyst to take this church to the next season, the next place that it's supposed to be. We're gonna go into a time of worship. If you would bow your heads, I wanna to talk to you as we start into our worship and pray. Father, with every head bowed right now and every eye closed, I wanna ask that question right now. If there's anybody here that says that right now, that says, thank God I'm here, but I can't stay where I am any longer. I'm gonna ask them to bring the house lights down for me just a little bit. If there's anybody here that says that right now, it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus your whole life. It doesn't matter if this is the first time in a church in 20 years. You could say, thank God I'm right where I am, but I know that I can't stay here. And the pressure starting to get turned up in my life. I know that there are things that are gonna come to the surface. There's things below the surface that it's time that the Lord finally has complete access to. If that is you here, I'm just asking that you would raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up for a second. The hands that are going up in this place that I, I thank God I'm right here. Thank God I'm right here. God, you see my hand. Thank God I'm right here, but I can't stay here any longer. This isn't the place that I'm supposed to be. Like, I know that there's more. This is not the destination. Lord, you saw those hands. And I ask, Father, that you do what only you can do inside of their hearts. That we cannot do it through behavior modification. We cannot do it through self-help. We can only do it through the power of a risen Jesus Christ. We're gonna open these altars up. And I believe down here at these altars is where you can have a genuine, authentic conversation with the Lord. You see, placing yourself in this position of humility and, and this posture of bowing down at these altars, it allows yourself to be in a position to call Him Lord and to Him receive you as child, to have a conversation where you can say, Dad, I need you to meet me right where I'm at.
So I wanna open these altars up. We're gonna have a couple worship songs. And if that is you today, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. I want you to spend just a, a few minutes, not a moment, a few minutes just sitting at these altars and letting Jesus just speak to you today. Lord, sometimes it takes stepping out and just being bold. And they're here today and they're saying, thank God I'm here, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't have made it, but I can't stay where I'm at any longer. And Lord, we've set aside special time this morning to have a conversation with you that we could just submit ourselves in a, a posture of humility at these altars and just have a conversation with you through a couple worship songs. There's people here that have not sat in his presence in so long they can't even remember. I invite you to get out of your seat right now and come and just sit around these altars and let's just worship as family together today. In the name of Jesus, amen.